Did everybody have a good weekend? So good. Good. You know, I'm, I'm loving the Christmas tree and all that and trying not to go, oh, I do not have mine. But I haven't planned to put it up yet. I have been doing other things. But this looks lovely, and I celebrate it. And I, I actually love that we can be here in this atmosphere. What a gift to us. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I was pretty busy this weekend, had an interesting weekend. Um, see, we're preparing for Thanksgiving. We go on a week-long trip, and we go to a national park that has shut down for the season. No, no, no. The, the, the national park is open, but the town shuts down out of season. So there's no grocery store within an hour. There's no restaurants. On a normal year, there's no restaurants. This year is not normal, but there's no restaurants. Within an hour, there's no grocery store within an hour. We stay at a house that has no oven, but it has a full kitchen, just not an oven. <laughs> um, we've stayed there a couple of times. Love it. We love going. So I'm gearing up Friday night for my... Um, third weekend of preparing meals for our trip because that's 72 meals that I get to prepare for all four of us six days. Um, and I'm getting out of bed Saturday morning, you know, all of my lists are starting to churn and my husband groans, rolls over and tells me that, oh yeah, he was up in the night because there was that beeping sound. Oh yeah, now I kind of vaguely remember that. The oven freaked out and said, I'm not working. And it had an error code. So John communicates to me that the oven's not really working. We'll figure something else out. We'll see what happens. He had to shut the power down to it. By the grace of God, nothing came out of my mouth because I was stunned that our oven wasn't working. Last time our oven didn't work, it was, in a, it was a month without a microwave, without an oven, while we waited for it to repair. We're leaving in a week to a place where we have no oven. I'm scrambling thinking in that split second, whose oven can I use? And I just kind of went, mm hmm okay, we'll see what happens. And I just ran into the closet and started getting dressed and going, dear God, dear God. I was almost wordless freaking out, right? But it's so easy to unload in our panic on the person closest to us, especially the one who gives us the bad news. By the grace of God, because I've been spending lots of time with him, I guess, he kept my mouth shut and I just received the information. So I also, I had to turn my heart to God. But in that moment, there weren't a lot of words that were coming out. It was pure emotion. It was pure panic. Of, and then it was like, you know what, God? I want to expect you to show up. And all of a sudden that panic went to, okay, God, you're bigger than this and nothing surprises you. And I'm just gonna trust you. We'll just see what happens. But God, I pray that when we turn the breaker back on, the oven works, it did. Praise God. 
he gives me these stories every week. I'm just like, oh my gosh. But the interesting thing was, John actually came back and apologized. He apologized because, see, he actually, because I found this out later, he spent an hour reading the manual, understanding the code, laboring to make sure he turned it on and off the, um, the breaker. He labored to maintain the blessing and all of this. Had I erupted in my panic, which wasn't a blame, but in my panic, I blame. In my panic, in my stress, words can flow out of my mouth to whoever's nearby. But he was actually doing good stuff. He was frustrated himself. And as he spoke to me, because I was getting out of bed and he was still in bed, he was frustrated because he lost sleep. My husband loves his sleep. And there was an hour that he was not successful at fixing something. Our men love to fix stuff. And he was thwarted. I was amazed because John actually came and apologized. And he said, I was very flippant. I spoke to you like I would have spoken to one of the guys over a scotch. And it caused you stress. Had I spoken in that moment, we wouldn't have had that sweet interaction. So that's the result this week of really being in this and going, God, grace flowed through me in that moment to pause and run my butt to God in my panic. My butt to God. Panic means go to God. Um, and one of the prayers that I've kind of been praying all year is that in any reaction, in any, I'm sorry, in any situation I find myself, my prayer is that I might respond out of a saturated heart and not react in myself, but respond out of a saturated heart because responding brings out the best in someone. Reacting is really a self-focused, self-agenda, self-priority, which is not thinking of someone else. When I react in the moment, I am not Philippians 2, 3, 4. I am self, 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 self. So we're here to remind ourselves of what this means. We're here to go, how can I have a fantastic marriage? improve my marriage, have a better hope for marriage. How can things get better? What do I have to do? And so I'm going to remind you of a few visuals. The stacking tower we talked about, I showed you this when we talked about submission, that submission is the last thing on top of all these others. Do we remember what this one was? Anybody? Trust. Trust in my own control. No. Trusting God. And from trusting God, we can love God and then be filled with his spirit so that we can love our neighbors and do love our neighbors, love our nearest neighbor, respect him, 
ultimately to voluntarily cooperate. All based on God is God, I am not. And I trust him. When we talked about um, contentment and uh, love, actually I don't remember which week I had it written down and I can't see it. Okay. This represents our heart and our neighbors around us. This represents the indwelling fountain of life that comes to us through our hearts. We guard our hearts when we are filled to the overflow with God. When I sit with my face upturned going, God is God, then I can pour out goodness on others just because I'm overflowing. But when that's empty, nothing happens. We saw last week the poisoned heart, the discontent that stirs up strife because I used food coloring and, and that has to be diluted. We have to be filled with God thoughts. So this is another illustration that we used, I think for the love week that we can't love. Love is a verb, but it is an impossible verb, like, like an imaginary number. It's an impossible verb because we can't love on our own. Love is God. God is love. And without God, without knowing God, there is no love. So how do we know God? We spend time in his presence and we remember we get filled up to the overflow and as we are filled up to the overflow with who God is, with his love, with his presence, it spills out. And the saturation of our heart, that's what spills out. May the saturation of my heart be filled with the thoughts of him, the things that are good and lovely and honorable and right and pure and admirable because that's what fills my heart and that's what comes out of my mouth. Because what comes out of our mouth is the true, truly the same thing. Out of the overflow of our hearts, the mouth speaks. Guard our hearts above all else because it is the wellspring of life. What we put in, what thoughts we focus on, what choices we make come out. Can you bridle your tongue when your heart is under pressure? When our hearts are filled with God, we can trust God to lead us. But that's a challenge. If we're not spending this time acknowledging that God is God and I am not. Candy talks about throne issues or the throne, right? Who's on the throne of your life? I like to say it, the reign and rule of God starts in my heart. Candy and I describe an elephant from different sides. We can use different terminology. We can use different things, but we're describing the same thing. In Philippians 4, Paul instructs the people 
on a lot of things, but he says, use your words, not foul and abusively or unwholesomely. I was taught this verse out of context when I was young, and it always got stuck in my mind. This is all about cussing, but it's really about communication, and it's really embedded in so much more. He says, don't use your words to beat someone up, but to raise them up and to draw out their best. Colossians 4, 6 says that in the handouts that were additional little handouts. There's basically just a boatload of verses and a song, but on the back highlighted, um, actually the second verse, Colossians 4, 6, be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, not cut them out. The Amplified says, speak gracious, pleasant, and winsome, uplifting words. I've noticed that when I am stressed, I am easily irritated. I can get angry. In the first lesson, the first week, we talked about our emotions. Candy uses the caboose, the train, and the caboose. The emotions follow. I described that our emotions are an indicator and they tell us where we are. I want to remind you that our emotions tell us where we are. So when we're stressed, we're anxious. We're going to get irritated. Our situation can rise all of this up. Irritation, bitterness, rage, stress, anxiety, internal pain and turmoil. All of those translate, the internal translates outward with harsh words, abusive language, slander, blame throwing, anger, raising our voices. Those emotions show us where we are. And may I suggest that they show us that we are no longer in the throne room. Those emotions highlight that we are not recognizing God's reign and rule in our hearts. The moment I am stressed and anxious, God's reign and rule is not in my heart. Our negative emotions are a one-way sign. Go back to God. Run, haul your butt to the closet. Pray. In the moment. In the moment. Establish a right heart before him. What does that mean? He is sovereign. He is good. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. He is love. We can take all of our stress, all of our anxiety back to God. He cares about every little thing and every big thing. He created itty bitty tiny things, molecules in our body. And he created the entire known universe and that which we do not actually know yet. He created it all. He cares about the little and the big in our hearts because he created us for him. So we are to pray about everything. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, right? Go straight to the throne. Talk to him about it. If we find ourselves getting worked up, there was that quote last week, if you find yourself in a mood, run to God. That's what Elijah did. If you find your emotions threatening to drown you, or even just unsettling you, 
Run to God. Reestablish God's reign and rule in your heart. Lay it all out. I'm not going to totally go through this, but there is a worksheet in your packet that's called Common Throne Issues. Again, reign and rule, God's reign and rule, throne issues. They're the same, just different sides of the same, same thing, right? And that list um, are good indicators of when we try and take back control. Really, they're all about the delusion of self-control. And we, I, anybody with me, we grasp for that as women. Oh, yeah, that goes back to the garden. Rule over your husband. You're going to want that, and you're not going to be able to. Especially because that's not the way that we honor God or build into our marriage, and it doesn't feed our husband's needs. So, remembering... I'm not in control of the situation. We're not in control of the fact that the camera stopped working, the mic stopped working, and yet beautiful, God restored it through the effort of a knowledgeable technical engineer, right? We're not in control. What a reminder. But God is, and he's going to get his purposes out. So the only thing that I can control You've probably heard this before, but I'm going to say it differently, of course. The only thing that I can control is my choice to trust God. That's the only thing I can control. I can only control, do I trust God? Is he going to reign and rule in my heart? And if so, then I can love him. And I can do what pleases him because he gives me the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So that's my area to control. And the outflow of that becomes my tongue. In the center of chapter four of Ephesians, um, again, y'all have a handout. Kind of looks like this without my scribbles on it. There's this highlighted part right here. It starts with, instead, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Try harder. Pull yourself up from the bootstraps. Make it work. No, no. Relax and rest into God. Let the Spirit transform your thoughts and your attitudes. That's what happens when we remember and set our minds on the things that have been won through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. See, in the center of this chapter is this nugget. The whole course of what Paul writes changes. I'm just going to actually suggest that we've memorized something from the second chapter of Philippians. Colossians in chapter one does something and the first three chapters of Ephesians does. So this, make a note, this is your homework from us to dole out over the holiday. Read the first two chapters of Philippians. 
Read the first three chapters of Ephesians. Read the first chapter of Colossians. Everything that Paul writes, he starts with saying, Christ has done it all. Christ voluntarily cooperated in submission to God and took the form of a servant. Therefore, therefore think of others as more important of yourself because Christ thought of you on the cross. Because Christ restored our relationship with God. What Paul does in his letters in a whole, he sets the stage and he always reminds us what God has done. I encourage you to make a note. When you open your Bible, do not read it for the to-do list. We talk a lot about the to-dos in this class, but read with an eye to what God has done because how Paul structures everything that he writes, this is what God has done. This is what Christ has won for you. He has given us salvation. He has given us his empowering spirit. And therefore, be imitators of Christ. Instead of living like someone who doesn't know God, speaking foul and abusively and lying and thieving. Instead, let the Spirit transform you and put on Christ, who is your life. See, that's what Paul says every time we have an instead or a therefore. It's because what went before is the foundation. We trust God and we worship him every morning. We remind ourselves that God is God and I am not. And he forgave, therefore I can forgive because I have been given, forgiven more than whatever has irritated me here. I love the word of God and I would actually just love to read all of those passages I just told you to read right now. We don't have the time for that. So I encourage you, soak in, know what Christ has done for you because that changes everything. Knowing that God is sovereign and that we can trust him, and then seeing it play out. We love Jesus. In our books, there's a great quote on page 85, which communicates this very similarly. You can follow along. I will read this. And this is when we're upset, when we're struggling, when those emotions threaten to overwhelm us. Before you face your spouse, it is absolutely necessary that you pause and self-consciously, purposefully surrender all the world and its rights. You die. Can you do this on your own? Not often and never well. I'd say not on your life can we do this. Only Jesus could actually forgive on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Therefore, it is Jesus who must love you before you open your mouth in anger. It is Jesus who must love you. It is Jesus who frees you from yourself, emptying you of your own will, even as he once emptied himself 
It is Jesus who places you fully under the light of his grace. And there our faith comes to life in serious prayer. Serious prayer shapes our life and our faith. And it is done by trust alone. It is Christ's act and therefore will reveal Christ in your actions. Can you see the water overflowing? When we go to God and we go, I cannot forgive, I cannot deal with this emotion, I cannot deal with this situation, but you can. He gives us what we need. And it's interesting, right? Because Esther's story really is a play-by-play of this. God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. I hope that this is another homework. If you haven't read the whole of Esther, please do. I spent some time there as well, right? It's beautiful. God's name is not mentioned, and yet God's thumbprint, his fingerprint, his aroma saturates it all. It's awesome. Esther finds herself in an impossible situation. And this impossible situation, she's put on the line. And so she goes, okay, I will do what my uncle calls me to do, asks me to do. But first, the first thing I'm, I'm going to get my butt and run to the closet. I'm going to run to God. I am going to pray. She sets aside a specific amount of time. For her, it was three days to pray. We don't know what happened, but we know what happened by what she does. She heard from God. He calmed her and he set her on a path. She follows it. So the first thing that we do when we find ourselves in any situation where our emotions come up, where we're hurt, where we're angry, and every time we're hurt or angry, something's been shifted in us and probably God's reign and rule isn't in the right place. Sometimes there are true wrongs, but every time we go straight to God and he gives us his perspective, he gave Esther his perspective. He gave Esther his plan and she implemented it. Actually, she said it, she, she just did what he, her part in it But she couldn't control Haman's actions. She couldn't control the king's response when he thought that Haman was accosting her. She couldn't control the king being reminded of being saved from a death threat in the middle of the night and therefore honoring Mordecai. God's hand is all over when we pray and we lift up a situation Increase your expectation of God coming through. God comes through. I mean, read this story in full, okay? Phenomenal. But it's all about what God does when we bend the knee and bow the head before his holiness, his goodness, and all that he has done on our behalf. So out of a grateful heart, all we can do is love him and respond. I would love to go on, but I'm not. We're just, we're just going to hold that, okay? Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Let, 
Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that the, your words will be an encouragement. Our words come out of our hearts. This really is a review, ladies. We must remember that God is God and I will accept his reign and rule in my heart. That is my choice. That is the only thing I can control. Esther vastly increased her expectations of God and she threw herself at God and he, she humbled herself. She set aside comfort, personal agenda and pride to hear what God would say. And then she followed through with what he said and he came through in a big way. So as we continue this, our journey, we are learning ways that we've gotten the F, that we've failed. And we've also learned how to do better in our interactions with our nearest neighbor, our husbands, rather than reacting out of self-motivated past habits, we can respond guided by the spirit, renewed, let your thoughts and attitudes be renewed. Let the spirit choose God's activity. We can respond then in love and in kindness because as Paul wraps this up in this particular passage, he says, treat others the way Christ has treated you. Treat others the way Christ has treated you. We are told not to use foul or abusive language, but right after that, we are also told to speak what is good and helpful. So your words will be an encouragement. So my prayer and blessing over all of us is, may it be said of us that your words have put stumbling people on their feet and put fresh hope in people about to collapse. May it be as God has said. Thank you.